Welcome to Life Care Services Health Services Division webinar series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Regulatory Strategy. Today, I'm joined by Cricket Davis, RN, who is a nurse consultant for Life Care Services. So welcome, Cricket. Thank you, Laura. So Cricket, today we are going to be talking about trauma-informed care. And as we know, trauma-informed care is part of the requirements of participation, or ROPs as we call them, um, section 483.25M. And actually, in the Federal Register under trauma-informed care, it says that the facility must ensure that residents who are trauma survivors receive culturally competent trauma-informed care in accordance with professional standards of practice and accounting for residents' experiences and preferences in order to eliminate or mitigate triggers that may cause re-traumatization of the resident. So that's a really big statement, (laughs) Cricket. It's a really big statement. So let's just, uh, let's jump in and let first, what is trauma-informed care? Well, that is a big statement. Um, and basically, we can we can boil it down to it's the way that a community structures a framework for treatment that reflects understanding, recognition, and their response to the effects of trauma. So, so that's a lot. Also, so how would we stay in compliance? I mean, what are some of the things that we're going to have to do to make sure that we're in, in compliance with this section of the ROPs? Because this is brand new. This is brand new stuff. Right. So there are steps that we have to take um, according to the regulation. So. Once we get a better understanding, we need to remember that we need to educate the staff and conduct a facility assessment. We need to identify training needs, modify our policies and procedures, implement the practices, and evaluate the progress. But to do that, we have to ensure that we are documenting the awareness of the history and how it influences the resident in their responses to their care, their settings, their caregivers, their treatment plan. This includes their environment and their interpersonal approaches. Everything that's going to affect the resident, we have to understand the the resident is affected by their past or their present trauma. So that could be a lot of different things for a lot of different people, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I saw some statistics recently that were pretty, um, I, I don't remember them, but they were pretty outrageous in terms of the percentages of of the general population at large that have experienced some sort of trauma. Laura, 90%, up to 90% of adults in America have experienced some sort of trauma that could lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. And 60 to 70% of those people actually do experience PTSD. It all depends on a lot of things individually with the person that has experienced that trauma. First of all, they can trace it back to the way the person deals with any kind of stressful situation. 
that goes back to the way that they were raised, their relationships with their families, if there's been any alcohol or, or drug abuse in the family. And this is all during their childhood. And then that kind of sets them up to be more susceptible. After the trauma happens, it comes down to their response to the trauma, whether they sought treatment and what their coping mechanisms are. Everyone's different. Yeah, so so since everyone's so different, how are we in our health centers going to really, really ensure that that we are providing, as they say, culturally competent um, care for trauma survivors and, and really knowing those triggers. I mean, that's a really big job. It is. I would say for the people that are going to be working on the floor and working with the resident, there are certain things you need to remember. In order for someone to trust you enough to share something very intimate with you, there's going to have to be a safe environment. And what sets up that safe environment is going to be being trustworthy. When you say you're going to be there, be there. When someone says they'll be back, make sure they come back. It needs to be a safe environment. They need to know that you are honest and trustworthy. Well, that makes that makes sense a lot. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, remember, what happens with PTSD is this is something that has happened that is completely out of their control. So you have to have a culture of empowerment. You have to empower them to make their own decisions. This may not be easy for some of them, but you are going to be the one that is going to instill that empowerment and encourage them to take a hold of things. The other thing we need to understand, as you said, is the cultural, religious, gender, all of these things that add into where they are and how empowered they are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So, so how are we, are, do we have like a standardized tool or assessment that we're going to use so that we're asking everyone the same questions, although their trauma and their reaction to the trauma could be very, very different? Right. Yes, as a matter of fact, we do. It's a very, very simple assessment form completed by social services, probably when they're doing the bins um, in that general um, time frame, because you want to get it set up first when, when someone comes in, because it's going to direct your care, and it's going to be care planned. So the assessment is really five questions. The first one is, in your life, have you ever had any experience that was frightening, horrible, or upsetting? Simple yes or no question. The second question is a four-part question. And these are, are going to tell you whether it is current PTSD or a history of. So the first question is, have, have you had nightmares about it or thought about it when when you didn't want to? That's a very specific question, and they'll yeah. be able to answer yes and no very quickly. Mm -hmm. 
The second one is, in the past month, have you, have you tried hard not to think about it or went out of your way to avoid situations that remind you of it? That's pretty significant. Yeah. Very, very. The third, have you been consistently on guard, watchful, or easily startled? And then the last one is, do you have a feeling or have you in the last month felt numb or detached from others, activities, or your surroundings? That's the assessment, Laura. Okay. It, so it is pretty simple. And as you said, because it's yes, no, even if a resident has difficulty um, communicating or remembering, that might spark some of that to be able to answer those questions, right? Right. And everyone needs to be aware that of the people that have experienced this, half or more are going to make it insignificant. They're going to feel like, I did it, it was a long time ago, I'm fine now. But the fact is, you need to know these things in order to find the triggers. Yeah, that makes so, sense. That makes uh, sense. Yeah, a, an example of it would be if you have a facility that is, has a very high population of military, as many mm-hmm. of us do, you're going to need to structure their experience into a care plan to make sure that we don't trigger responses. So a a good example of that is a facility with a lot of military people that is now going to be under construction. We might have a problem with banging and jackhammers and things like that. Hmm. So that's going to make us aware that's immediately going to trigger us to think and critically think through it, what are the things that are going to trigger? Sometimes triggers come out sideways and you may need some help from that resident. Say uh, a tragic event, possibly a fire, happened, sparked by uh, an electrical storm. And you might think that the trauma of a fire will make them afraid of fires. But that might not be the case. It might be the presence of water. Sometimes those come out sideways. So we're going to have to critically think and really take time and attention on this. Those are really good examples, Cricket. Really good examples. I wouldn't have thought of those. So, so now let me let me just go back a little bit. You talked about our facility assessment. So, is that where we need to start? Is to look at our facility assessment so that we're assessing the current population right now? Yes. Yes. Okay. It needs to start immediately. You need to figure out the needs of your residents and what they have been through. And then you can care plan. Um, I would suggest an IDT, maybe along with your behavior management program, and where you can sit and, and discuss with the IDT, what are the things we can do to make this more comfortable for our residents? Yeah, you know, if you're talking about doing all of that now, which makes a lot of sense because we only have until November 28th. 
Um, and we're sitting here in September now, so we are on a very tight time frame to be able to do that and get it care planned for everyone, correct? Exactly. You need to start now, especially with your long-term care people, and you may be surprised at your results. So how is how um, how is everyone going to get that assessment? Because I know it'll take us a little bit of time to get it on the uh, in the EMR system, um, specifically my Unity. But how can we make sure that uh, folks get that assessment so they can at least have it on paper right now? Right, I believe we will be sending it out, um, and then they can either put it on paper or. Um, put it in their computer in some way and to make sure that the assessment is done immediately. Okay. Yeah. Great. Because, because again, you know, the EMR systems are gearing up for um, PDPM. So, you know, cause it's everything at once, right? <laughs> that's the way it works. <laughs> the way it works. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's great. So, um, so I think, you know, since, since this is brand new for us and it just, it, it doesn't seem to have a lot of structure. I feel like you did put a lot more structure on it. At least for me, it makes a lot more sense to me now. Um, so, so I'm hoping that, you know, this makes a lot more sense to everyone else. And especially if we're asking those questions and then it's very individualized, like you said, we have to really consider each person and it, just as we would with anything in their care plan, correct? Correct. Okay, good, good. So um, is there anything else that we need to know at this point to make sure that we're in compliance? I don't think so. Um, just make sure that, of course, the nurse's aides are going to have the most contact with, with the residents. Make sure that the nurse's aides understand completely what their triggers are and, and can carry forward so we have a continuity in everyone's care with our residents. Good advice. Good advice. So, well, thank you, Cricket. I appreciate you spending time with us, and we will certainly let everyone know when that assessment is available, right? It, yeah, absolutely. And it's been my pleasure, Laura. All right. And uh, thank you to our listeners, and I hope you will join us again. Legal Disclaimer. Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.